What is up everyone? My name is Austin Jardine. Welcome to the Vanguard Project. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, uh, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just a dude outside of Boise, Idaho, with a couple of mics, a living room, and uh, a realization that there's a whole lot of people to talk to and uh, to learn from. My goal with the show is to share people's stories, learn from them, and uh, understand what it's taken to get to where they're at, with the hope that they're uh, that through these stories we can relate to you and provide you all with some new tools some new ways of thinking and inspiration to draw on and motivation to take you to wherever that next step is for you in life. With that being said, uh, I will, is it Jenks? I didn't even ask. Jinx. Jinx? Yeah. Okay. I totally forgot to ask. I was like, oh, it's all good. I wanted to say Yanks because like <laughs> Erica's Hispanic and I always want to put the in anything and with Jay. So William Jinx, owner and ninja bladesmith of Jinx Plague Works here uh, to share with me what it means to be a knife maker, where he gets his inspiration and how he got started. So man, I'm excited. You brought some fancy hardware, which I really appreciate. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be fondling it the whole night. I guarantee you that I'm gonna be playing with it. Good. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I followed you for a little while on the gram. You make some really cool stuff, and uh, kind of talking a little bit before. You've got a crazy story on how you got into knife making, but not only that. You know, you went through the Marine Corps. You're kind of a stud all around. So if you don't mind, just starting with who you are, how you got in the Marine Corps, maybe where you come from. You mentioned you're Japanese. Let's just let's just get the data dump, and, and I'll harass you if that's cool. Yeah, definitely. So uh, for me, my name is William Jinx. Uh, I was born in Yokosuka, Japan, um, on Valentine's Day. Nice. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Just I have always moved around a lot: uh, Japan, Hawaii, California, Idaho. And just anywhere else that the Marine Corps has taken me because my father, he was also a Marine. Nice. Um, yeah, he was in for about 22 years. And so always as a kid, I've always just have just had this drive to just be similar to him, not exactly like him. So um, he always had his time in the Marine Corps that I've always just been attracted to. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't doing it because of benefits and things like that. You know, he had a real patriotic side to him that I've always looked up to. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting just being a foreigner in the eyes of other Americans sure. as they move around. You know, no one here in Idaho that I've ever really encountered for the longest time ever really spoke Japanese. Yeah. So, you know, as I moved around, I've always just been this weird... <laughs> interesting stranger to other people and yeah. you know i just have always used that to my advantage just okay. as a speaking point or you know when i'm breaking the ice with people <laughs> yeah oh i'm japanese yeah exactly yeah that's funny so i i've known a couple of japanese folks so i work you know in technology so i've worked with several japanese folks and uh it's it's funny because I haven't really met many Japanese folks other than people that I work with, right? But I studied Chinese in college, actually. Oh, really? So, like, I've always had a fascination for, you know, Asian culture because it's, it's vastly different. Yeah, you know? sure. So, how, how long did you, were you in Japan? I mean, you born, were you raised there? So, I was born there, moved shortly after, probably a year or two after that. But then, 
when I joined the Marine Corps, I got stationed in Okinawa, Japan. <laughs> so you're so, like, I can't get out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I really can't wait to go back someday. You know, it's a beautiful culture. I've got some great friends that live out there and, you know, it's just a beautiful place and it's somewhere I feel like I need to visit every once in a while. Yeah. Stay in touch with my own culture. That's awesome. So do you feel like the Marine Corps was a very good fit for you? I mean, other than the patriotic side, was there something that, that drew you to it? Experience. Okay. That's what I was after. Um, when I graduated high school, I think only four people out of my entire graduating class um, joined the military. But yeah, so not, not that many uh, people had a desire to be in the military, and I wanted to join just because I knew that there was going to be some kind of real-life experience I can gain from that while everyone else that graduated with high, or from high school with me, you know, they're going to get their own experiences. But I wanted something that was vastly different, something that pushes me to the extremes of my own mentality, my spirit, you know, my own physical body. Those were the things I was after. I, I wasn't after getting you know, your normal kind of job that everyone else was getting right after high school. I wanted something that was extreme. Yeah. So do you feel like that the Marine Corps then was able to, to get you there? It was exactly what I needed. <laughs> it, I mean, my father set a great example, but, you know, it's vastly different from growing up underneath a Marine versus being a Marine. Right. Um, the, it's just a whole different culture than what you're used to because, you know, you're just this nasty kid from high school snot nose just <laughs> uh bad attitude things like that maybe not the most intelligent or anything like that but you know the marine corps really tries to shift and change you so that you know you are a trained killer and you're ready to do things that most people your age aren't ready for ever in their lifetime yeah so uh did you go into the marine corps wanting to do a specific thing like infantry armor I wanted to be a machine gunner. My <laughs> mother would not sign the paperwork because I was trying to enlist when I was like 17. And I was like, I have to do this right now. I can at least train PT and start learning Marine Corps knowledge, you know, about half a year, or you know, a year before I enlisted and went to boot camp. I figured just start training for it during the fall time when I started back up in senior. Yeah. Uh, yeah my senior year. So did you end up making it in a machine gunner? No. No? Uh, I had to sign up for something else yeah. to just have her, to convince her the, to sign the paperwork. I <laughs> ended up becoming a combat engineer. Okay. Yeah, so I, I remember one of your other guests, they were also a combat engineer. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, Caleb uh, in the Army. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. I know, okay, honestly, I don't really know much about what combat engineers do. So um, I, I can only uh, speak to my own experiences. Sure. Um, I can't speak for anyone else's. Um, the reason why I chose a uh, combat engineer um, was because I was hearing a story in uh, World War One, maybe World War Two, where there was only a small squad of engineers that were protecting a German village or um, a village somewhere in Europe. And these guys only had two machine guns, one bazooka, and... A few explosives and what they did was they somehow convinced the entire German army or a battalion that that was not a good idea to advance <laughs> forward to this little tiny village sure they ended up blowing up the bridge and just gunning down the battalion and just making them retreat so that kind of inspired me and you know I I wasn't sure if that was exactly what was going to happen to me it turns out 
nothing remotely <laughs> happened like that, but I definitely got to train for it. Yeah, that's awesome. So did all of that experience then, because you mentioned that uh, getting into knives was uh, kind of a, a crazy experience. Yeah. Is, is the Marine Corps kind of what, what inspired that, or was... No? I... So this story, I guess, goes back a, a while ago. Okay. Um, when when I was a kid, I've always been fascinated by so many different subjects of the world. Um, I wanted to be a scientist in several different fields. I wanted to study volcanology, marine biology, you know, natural type sciences, maybe be a genetic engineer and things like that. And so I would always go to the library and just read books about these subjects until you know, it fascinated and, and filled up the curiosity of a five-year-old, yeah. a 10-year-old, and so on. Well, one day, my sister, when we were in fourth grade, she brought back a book for me, and it was all about aliens. <laughs> like, <laughs> talking about Roswell and UFO sightings and, and just ufology and things like that. And, I mean, I'm just in fourth grade, but it was super fascinating. Yeah, because, and terrifying because they're going to come get you. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what they do. <laughs> but I was just super fascinated with aliens for some reason. And I actually devoted a large chunk of my life when I was living here in Nampa and in Boise just studying ufology because I was like, this is, this is my career. I want to track down UFO sightings. I want to interview witnesses <laughs> and I want to, you know, interact with aliens someday. And so far that has not happened yet. Yeah, that was the next question. What happened then? <laughs> and X-Files. Yeah. But uh, yeah, after after I was studying that, I started getting into the supernatural, mm. and then and then people were talking about, well, in the year twenty twelve, in a few years, the world's gonna end. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, doomsday. <laughs> and so I'm a, I'm just a ten year old kid starting to worry about the doomsday and doomsday yeah. prepping. <laughs> and I mean, most other kids, you know, they're playing outside, they're playing with video games or whatever was popular at the time, and I'm starting to just build spears <laughs> just sharpening sticks the in the back end. yeah <laughs> everyone was so confused they're like you're just a kid you know <laughs> so worry about worry about fourth grade worry about this other stuff don't worry about the end of the world but i was just so adamant uh my my father he was deployed at the time uh to iraq and and so i was just like well you know, who's going to protect the house when <laughs> asteroids start raining down and people start breaking in and things like that. So, you know, my father gave me a little tiny buck knife to start, you know, working with. And I was in the Cub Scouts at the time. So I was like trying to learn as much survival knowledge, medical knowledge and things like that. And fast forward a little bit, I was like, well, at the end of the world, you know, even if I do survive, what kind of skills would I even have? Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not an adult at this time. I'm still 13 years old or maybe even 12 or so. And I'm just worried, like, what value would I add to a post-apocalyptic society? And, That's some pretty heavy stuff for a kid. Yeah. Uh, thanks to my younger sister. You know, this is the road that I go on. And so I was like. Maybe I should just build weapons. <laughs> and and so, like, I was still in the Boy Scouts. And later in life, uh, I graduated as an Eagle Scout. But in between, I was very fortunate enough to have a Scoutmaster who knew how to make knives. Uh, he would 
he used to make them when he was about 15, 16 years old. So when I was 15, the rest of my troop and I, we were invited to his garage. And, you know, for a few months, we would hacksaw <laughs> tool steel to just make a little six inch uh, skinning knife. Yeah. And, you know, we'd after it was done, we'd take it out camping and sharpen sticks, start fires with it, take it out hiking and things like that. And, you know, that's that's where it really started. Like, I want to be a knife maker. I'm going to turn this into a business. And a few of the scouts, they were also thinking that too, but I I was a lot more passionate about it than they were. Okay. So is that, so that then, I guess, how old were you when you decided to turn it into a business? Also about 15. Really? Yeah. Um, so I started practicing business and studying a little bit about business when I was in high school. I was like, well... You know, I don't know the first thing about business or taxes or anything like that. I'm not a people person at all. So I figured I would just start working on knives, just start grinding them out, start learning how they're made and how to properly make them and work on the finishes and just build everything else. And that would attract the other the other people, my friends I was going to school with. And, you know, every once in a while, I mean, it's not like I ever brought knives to school to show off like, <laughs> hey, check out what I just made this weekend, you want to buy it for a hundred bucks. <laughs> um, but I would take pictures of it every once in a while. And I started getting into learning how to use social media, like Facebook and things like that. And so I would post, you know, really grainy, nasty pictures of my knives and people were like, this is amazing. You should, you know, make more. And can I get one? And I want one. And um, from there I was like, all right, I need to turn this into a business, but I don't know anything about that. So I'll still keep working on knives but I'll wait till the future until I can uh, focus on making it into a business. Okay. That's cool. So then throughout all that time, right? Studying the business aspect of it, how did you start to find inspiration for your designs? Cause I think they're really cool. So like, I guess explain or describe the one that, that I've got right now, because the one that you brought over, I guess both of them are, I don't want to say they're like fighting knives because I've, when Ryan, when Ryan was like combative knife combatives, it sounds kind of weird, but they're, they're, they're for fighting. Like these things are like mean looking. Yeah. So, I mean, how would you describe the two that, that we've got in the living room right now? Yeah. So for me, I, I'm very fascinated with war and uh, history and things like that. Um, obviously being a Marine, uh, it was never really a requirement to study every single war and battlefield that ever occurred, but to understand why some militaries won and why some lost, why some were, consistent winners and why you know some nations just could not cut it but for me my interest was over a million years ago i was studying what homo erectus were creating in africa um they would take big chunks of jasper and just hammer them and create these really rough hand axes that look like sharp rocks essentially okay Uh, some of them might look like teardrop shapes or you know like pointy eye type almond shapes and things like that but that was how human beings started to survive and thrive. They were building these things out of necessity. They didn't build knives because they were cool looking or anything like that. They were, they were hungry, so they would hunt with them. They were cold, so they would chop down wood and start fires with them. Uh, and they would process game by scraping this rock against the hide of an animal for fat and, and things like that. Um, to make clothes. And so I actually have a very small collection. I call it my own personal museum. 
where I have one of these 1.2 million year old blades yeah. and I have custom knives that were just made the other day. I have <laughs> um, bayonets and really weird knives that don't look, don't even look like knives. They just look like a metal ring. Um, I have uh, knives from the revolutionary war, the civil war. Um, I have swords that were used in executions. Yeah. Um, I'm just very fascinated with cultures and how their take on the knife and what it looks like. And, you know, I try and bring some of those designs back to life. Um, when I like to look at other cultures, you know, they don't have a buoy looking knife. They have something where it's nice and curved, something yep. where that thing's going to dig into flesh. And that's kind of what I'm after. Um, I like to draw inspiration from what materials another culture had. If they were a sea coastal type culture where, you know, fishing was what they were after. Some people made knives with uh, shark teeth put into pieces of wood tied together and, you know, they would <laughs> slash people apart with it. And I find that very fascinating. And I might look at how the shark tooth is, is designed. Sharks have been around for hundreds of millions of years. Obviously, they're doing something correct. So I take a look at how their teeth are designed and I try and incorporate that into the designs. I like to look at things that in the natural world, why do those things work? Why do bear claws look like the way they do? Sure. Um, why do stingray barbs, why do they have so many cool, intricate little serrations that you can't see with the naked eye? Yeah. Um, these are things that I'm very fascinated with. That's interesting. So then when you start to sit down and, and maybe draw up a design for a new knife, how do you decide, I guess, what what it is that you want to be fascinated with. So for instance, with the shark tooth, right? Or, or maybe the stingray, when you sit down, you're like, okay, I'm going to start designing a knife based off of the stingray. I mean, is that, is that your thought process? Or are you like, no, I want to have a knife that is meant for uh, cutting watermelon, but then also could slit somebody's throat, you know? <laughs> uh, for me, I like to also design knives based off my experiences. Okay. So the knife you and I both have, you have a prototype of one that I'm releasing next year. And this one that I have in my hand, I released earlier this year. Actually, maybe even this month. Uh, it's called the Habu. Mm -hmm. um, this one's the Habu 2. You hold the Habu 3. Okay. Habu are Okinawan pit vipers. They're just venomous snakes. And uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, one of my cool stories and jobs that I had was being a jungle warfare training instructor and staff member. So for me, I would interact with these snakes all the time. Uh, we'd run students through a obstacle course, and sometimes these snakes would be all curled up. So I'd take them and <laughs> chop the heads off. So I take a look at the fang of the snake and like, okay, if I want to make a line of knives, what's their purpose? I want to create something for self-defense, something that's on the larger side, something that is you know, pretty visible because this thing is on your belt. So, you know, I might take a look at the snake thing and just, okay, how do snakes strike? Okay, curves inward like that. So the first one, it's not exactly a stabbing type blade. It's more of a slashing blade. Sure. But these two that we both hold in our hands, this one's strictly for uh, stabbing yeah. and then slicing, right. things like that. Yeah, this is, uh, I think... Because Ryan, I had him kind of talk, explain these to me, right? Because, you know, I've been to one of the Fieldworks courses. Yeah. And and it's the tip down is, is how they're intended to be held, right? Yep. Yeah, tip down, blade in. 
Yep. And both of these, kind of to your, to your point, right, are meant for stabbing in and then pull and cutting straight down because the yep. blade is is curved so that it'll cut through fabric and flesh and all that. Oh, yeah. Nice. And okay. I mean, even when these blades are a little bit dull, it's still such a, a nice little blade. It's curved, very acute tip. So that thing, even if it's dull, will still pierce. It'll still tear. Right. It doesn't have to be a clean cut, but it... Yeah, you know, you only have Serves a, a, purpose. <laughs> a thin piece of skin that uh, protects your arteries in your neck. Yeah. So then, uh, are all of the knives that you work on designing are they are they for self defense or do you kind of branch out into everything? I I branch out a little bit. Um, so I like to make kitchen knives. I like to make axes. I like to make uh, tomahawks. I like to make swords, machetes, things where I know I would like to use it. You know, if I go camping, then I might make a special machete. If I'm going hunting, I might make myself a nice little hunting knife. Yeah. If uh, if I'm going to be doing traveling a lot, then I might make a little discreet self-defense knife. If I'm um, going to be doing a lot of time in the woods where, you know, I want to, you know, pass time easily, just make myself a little tomahawk. And, you know, I have other people that reach out to me because they want those things. So, you know, everything's custom made in my shop. Um, so if they're like, Hey, I have a tomahawk match in four months or whatever. Can you make me a pair of matching tomahawks within these parameters? You know, three inch beard weighs under two pounds, 18 inch shaft or whatever. Those are specifications that I try and meet. And, you know, I'm after exceeding my customer satisfaction. Okay. That's what I'm after. Yeah. So how do people get a hold of you then? Maybe before we move on, if somebody's listening, they're like, I love the way this guy thinks. I love who he is. I love that he has all these experiences. I need a new knife or I need a new ax. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, mostly just through direct messages on uh, Instagram. Um, I, I used to have a few different social media accounts where, you know, I, I had a Facebook account, um, Instagram, but I, I deleted everything because some messages were getting deleted um, by customers and things like that. So what I try and do is take a screenshot in chronological order of mm -hmm. what people message me um, and just go from there. Uh, I also have a Gmail too, uh, jinxbladeworksllc at gmail.com. Okay. Um, they can message me there too. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure both uh, Instagram and the emails in the episode description because Man, I know that I will be uh, reaching out to you because I've got I've got this idea swirling around in my head with yeah. axes and stuff. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out. Perfect. Uh, but not to get too far off the path. So you do a lot of cool stuff, not just making knives, but also in the edged industry. So uh, you you just got back from Tops Knives last week. You yeah. mind talking about that experience and maybe some of the other fu fun stuff that you're a part of? Yeah, definitely. So for me. I don't look up to that many people. Um, I'm very peculiar. I'm very particular about who I look up to and who I trust. Um, there's a lot of martial artists out there and a lot of people who are tactical, tactical um, people in the military, and everyone has different experiences. But there are very seldom few that I actually look up to because I know that their experiences and what they preach is legitimate. You know, they have real life experience behind what they talk about. So Ryan Atkinson, I look up to him a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the few people I really trust. Um, Ed Calderon is probably one of the top people that I actually look up to. 
Um, he was a federal, uh, a federal agent in Mexico for about 12 years or so. And he hosted a weaponology class down in Topps Knives. And that was an insane course, I can say. That was probably the most insane weekend I've ever been on as a civilian. Um, it was pretty intense. A lot of real life, real world applications and subjects that were talked about. Um, that course was first announced in January and I immediately tried to find out who was running that course because uh, he had a, a list of classes that he had going on and Yukon Idaho was on there. And I was like, I, to be honest, I've never heard of Yukon, but <laughs> I'm interested. And so I, uh, as soon as I found out it was Top Snides, I gave him an email and I was like, hey, I don't know if you guys are open to it, but I'd really like to go on the course. They got back to me a few weeks later and said, hey, you know, you're good to go. You can go on the course. Uh, this is how much it costs uh, after you paid it. And when the time comes, please show up. And so that weekend finally happened. Um, <laughs> and all I can say is just it was a lot more than I was anticipating. I knew that there was going to be a lot, but there was a lot more hands-on than I was expecting. Um because that was a that was a, an education course in a lot of different ways, right? I think in like what mental and physical fortitude, kind of what you're talking about, and then also really how to be aware and capable traveling. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, before the course even starts, there's a several page waiver you have to read through <laughs> terms and conditions, and after you sign that, he starts showing you a video of uh, a corpse, a headless corpse underneath, okay. uh, or yeah underneath someone and the person that's on top of the corpse is his torso is open and there's a guy cutting into his heart so that's a real eye-opener like wow this is this is uh gonna be a f interesting course i didn't even expect that to be honest and we start watching videos of people getting stabbed people getting murdered situational awareness is something you really start thinking about because you know there there's one video where there's a two dudes I believe Russian, um, Russian, mm, mm. and they're, I guess they were close friends, and this dude literally stabbed him in the chest and pushed him forward. Out of the blue, just random. Yep, they were in some kind of train station, and it really made me think, like, there's a, there's a reason why I trust so few people. <laughs> yeah? I mean, you could be fr best friends with someone for 20-plus years and still never know them. Yeah. There's always another side of human beings that I believe we should all be a little cautious about. Sure. Um, we never know someone's intentions and, and what kind of personalities they have deep down inside that we don't see on the outside. Yeah. And, you know, this course, it didn't make me really paranoid. Like, I don't... Um, Ed really likes to emphasize there's not enemies behind every corner. You know, don't live your life in fear. Don't be paranoid invest in other people because you know other people help save the day if you're in trouble and yeah um you know there someone especially in like in this kind of state where firearms are such a holy grail for some of us you know like you know someone's getting shot at out here someone is gonna run up and save the day right whether that's you yourself or you know that person their family members a friend and so i believe that you know we should be a little bit cautious you know, always check your back, watch what you post on social media, watch how you travel, um, be very wary of how much you pack and what you pack. Yeah, that's fair. 
Yeah, I like, you know, it's it's interesting because those types of topics I feel are I don't know if they're they're not quite like widely accepted, I guess, cuz they some of those things feel maybe a little taboo and yeah. morbid. Yeah, morbid for sure, but like schizo- like schizophrenic, like dodgy, you're kind of on edge all the time. Yeah. But I, I think that there's a certain element to it where it's like everybody needs to know how to take take care of themselves and, and watch after for their own well-being, the folks around them, right? I mean, I'm definitely guilty of it, right? Wearing headphones or being glued to my phone or whatever when it's like, okay, put it down, look around. But anyways, so on the topic of education, um, when you got down the road of knife making, and, and I don't know how kind of blade going down like I've heard, is it master bladesmith? Is there, did you do any like formal education or, or trade or apprenticeship to become who you are now? So to be honest, uh, nothing truly formal. I have apprenticed under two different people besides my, my main mentor, uh, Jason Madsen. Um, he lives out here in Boise, Idaho. Uh, he's a woodworker and, uh, he was the one that really got me into knives and he's like my business mentor and things like that. Um, apprenticeships were very short they were just one day but the the amount of knowledge that i soaked in has lasted me all my life so far and i mean i'm still a relatively very young kid um bill burke uh he lives about an hour away from boise um kind of just off in the woods yeah he is a american bladesmith society member uh, with the rank of master bladesmith Um, okay he has just very phenomenal work you know it takes some months to really create and finish something but you can really see it in his quality and price point sure i mean that's someone that i look up to a lot in terms of knife making things like that and then when i was stationed in japan uh, one of the last weekends before i had left i had just turned 21 um the like a couple days before my mom she flew in from california and we went up into the mountains to meet a master bladesmith um nakanishi sensei he crafts japanese swords traditionally um and you know it was just such a surreal experience because you know he's i think he was 33 at the time he was very young but i mean his sword is quite quite high in quality and quite high in uh, price for very good reason yeah i almost feel like i don't know I, i i i see Japanese blades in such high regard, you know, I don't, I don't know why other than like the katana for some reason. Right. I could almost see that being a pretty like spiritual experience, you know, yeah. Headed up into the mountains of Japan to meet a master. It just sounds like it sounds cool. Yeah. I mean, this was towards the end of February. So up in the mountains, it was snowy. It was, it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, I feel like if I follow in the steps of these guys, I will also be a mountain hermit. <laughs> My wife may not like that, but yeah. I might. Uh, it's okay. Um, so you mentioned the American, is it the American Bladesmith Society? Yep. How, I guess, what is that? How do societies in bladesmithing work? So the I'm not a part of the American Bladesmith Society, so if any of you guys that are listening are a part of it, I do apologize if I screw anything up. But basically, they, they're an organization that, you know, a lot of famous knife makers and swordsmiths and people like that, they're a part of. 
they really help enhance the community and really just foster a community of good knowledge and um, growth and, you know, how you craft knives and, and things of that sort. Um, there's a lot of prestige among them because there is a very tough test in order to just make journeyman smith and, you know, the master bladesmith rank. Um, they just they really put your knives through the ringer. Okay. They'll, they'll take your knives and they'll bend them back and forth and yeah. uh, they'll test out your edge retention and things of that sort. Um, maybe in the future I will be a member someday, but at the moment I just don't have the time for it. But, you know, it's not something where I just don't want to do it or I really want to. I'm just in between about it right now. Sure. Yeah, it's a commitment. It takes time. I, I get that. Um, have you found that the bladesmithing community for newcomers and and uh, people trying to learn and kind of figure things out is pretty receptive. Like, let's say tomorrow I decided I want to try and make a knife and I need help. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, quite often, I like to help out a lot of people because when I first started making knives, although I did get great leadership and uh, examples to follow, um, you know, I first started off with the very bare minimum. I would just mow lawns to make money to buy super cheap tools from Harbor Freight. Yep. And I would just go from there. I mean, my first anvil that only lasted a few hours was a brick. <laughs> um, but from there, you know, I just learned as long as I kept working on the craft, I could, you know, progress better and better. And, you know, the things that I would learn, whether from other people or from myself along the way, those things would be things that I would pass on to other people who would ask me questions because I don't want them wasting their time or their money because that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, because I didn't have a formal business, there was no formal need to perfect knives. I sure. just had a huge drive to do so. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, why do I need to heat this steel up three times in a row and cool, uh, let it cool off slowly in between and make sure it doesn't get as hot each time. There's a very scientific reason behind it but i just didn't understand it at the time and as i just practice it more and more and i get to see the progress and quality of my knives improve you know it's just something that inspires both me or that inspires uh myself and you know other makers that may look up to me as an example mm -hmm. and you know things of that sort okay so for you know new makers that are getting into it what advice would you have for them i know that you mentioned you've got some young ones that that reach out to you what advice have you been giving them to to push them forward followers don't mean anything <laughs> don't don't worry if you have 175 followers that doesn't mean anything to me um followers don't equate to sales they don't equate to um people that are loyal to you and your journey um i still have a very long way to go and i'm always grateful for the amount of support that i get and it's crazy for me when you know knife makers that I think are really awesome reach out to me and they're like, Hey, you know, if you want to improve your grind, just try this little trick. And you know, that's something that I always look up to. And that's kind of what I would like to say to other people. Also just don't, don't go into it thinking you'll become rich. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. You, you know, that goes with any hobby. That is true. Yeah. Just don't go into knife making thinking you'll just sell out and make $1,000 knives. It took me almost an entire year to sell one of my $1,000 knives. Uh, um, and also, really work on the knives you make first. Don't, don't just try and rush through and just make some weird 
steel shank with like poorly wrapped paracord on it. <laughs> I like just take your time and just focus. You know, there's no rush. You don't have any deadlines. Just take your time. Yeah. Quality over quantity. Exactly. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, is there anything else you want to cover? I have one more question, uh, but it might be personal, so I don't know if you... I mean... Okay. I don't so care. you'd mentioned at the beginning, and I might I might drop this question towards the beginning, that um, kind of growing up, you felt like a bit of a, an outcast. Yeah. How, how and, and, you know, this might be off topic of bladesmithing per se, but I'm, I'm interested because I know that some people probably have felt the same throughout time, and I would like you to be a sounding board if possible, right? Yeah, definitely. How, how were you able to kind of navigate those waters and kind of understand, like, so what if I'm different or Japanese or whatever, right? How, how, how did you get to a point where you were comfortable with yourself? You know, for me, I've just learned at the end of the day, human life is very short. Don't waste your time worrying about what other people think. You know, just be yourself. Be true to yourself. Um, if, if, if I had followed what everyone else said, don't join the Marine Corps. You're too weak. And if, uh, like, hey, your knives suck, stay out of it. Don't be a knife maker. Where would I be right now? Who knows? I don't know because I don't like to listen to that kind of people. I... I like to do things in spite of people sometimes (laughs) (laughs) like people say, Hey, that's too challenging. Or should you really be doing that? And to a degree, like within reason, I'll listen and like, okay, maybe I shouldn't climb a mountain at 3am because I'm drunk. It's probably not a good idea, but (laughs) you know, something where if I have a true passion for it and I feel like I at least want to give it a chance, I'll go for it. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I think that's important, right, is especially in this day and age where it's easy to get caught up listening to a thousand other voices when really one or two should matter to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, Like, be real about anything you try and get into. Um, Don't think you'll become a world the world's best uh, firearm engraver after watching two YouTube tutorials and buying a super cheap engraving set might not happen. I'm not saying don't do that, but just be very legitimate about your passions and things like that. Yeah, I I agree with that. Buy once, cry once, I've learned is a very good life yeah. policy. Yeah. <laughs> um but also, you know, taking feedback, kind of like what you were talking about, getting reached out to by, hey, try this different grind, try this different technique. You know, most people don't have bad intentions when they when they offer advice. And it's funny because kind of relating to you with this podcast, right? Like by taking feedback, I've actually found I'm having more fun oh, with yeah? it. Yeah. Like, you know, in, in previous conversations, right, th- this type of interview, it's been it's been interesting where it's been kind of 80-20, where it's like 80% of it's t- you talking and me 20. And I've been doing, trying to get a little bit more like engaged and conversational. And because of that, like, I feel like I'm connecting and actually having more fun with it. And, yeah. You know, like actually getting more out of you and more out of it for me that I can, you know, take and apply to my life and other conversations. And so... If you get into a hobby, don't try and immediately turn it into a business. Um, you'll lose interest real fast. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what you try and do. Um, if you try and uh, try and turn it as a monetary profit, you know it, mu- 
it definitely won't work out for you. Um, there might be a very small chance that it does, but it just doesn't happen. If, uh, if I just spent five years making knives and no one really likes them, why should I turn it into a business, you know? But if I find enjoyment out of it, then maybe I should just stick to making knives as a side, side uh, type hobby, you know, after I get home from work. But that is it. That's important. You know, I, I can I would like to echo that, too, because there's been stuff that I've done uh, that started out as a hobby mm-hmm. and I did it because I loved it and I was doing something that I enjoyed. And I the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the intent that I had behind it eventually changed and it turned into a job for me. And I no longer had fun with it. And it kind of ruined what it was that I was working on. And I've since, like, almost stopped doing that thing that I'd previously loved. And it started out as kind of just like a hiatus, right? I needed a break. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, well, life has changed to this other thing. But, I mean, if it's something that you truly love, do it with passion and purpose to enjoy it. Not, excuse me, not necessarily to monetize and profiteer from it. Because that'll happen I almost feel like that happens organically. I don't know. You probably can speak to that better, but yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I would also say no matter what kind of job or interest you have, I would say definitely find, you know, whatever passions you truly um, are interested in. Um, For me, I, everyone sees me as a knife maker, but no one really sees the full picture of like what I do after I'm done making knives. Um, I get pretty wild about my interests. I like, I mean, I love lock picking. I love yeah. long range shooting. I love archery. I like gold panning and prospecting, rock hounding, uh, fossil hunting. Just <laughs> like, it, it's just wild. All these different things fly through my head and I actually use those interests to actually inspire some of my knives and stuff. So. You know, if I if I'm getting ready to go hunting in September, for example, I might just want to sit down and make myself a personal little hunting or skinning type knife. And and then I might say, you know what, this design looks great. I'll just make it over and over again for other people just because I feel like they'd also enjoy it. Yeah. And so sometimes those passions will bleed over into other passions or like if I'm studying about how um let's see like gold prospecting for example i might say hmm maybe i want to instead of making a knife maybe i want to make a different type of metal tool like a shovel or a trowel something where i can dig into the earth and you know hopefully find like one little flake of gold yeah and so like those things i i use those other passions and hobbies to bleed into each other that help fuel my business and you know i'm but I'm genuinely interested in, you know, looking for fossilized shark teeth or, you know, shooting my Remington or something like that. Yeah, I love that. That's that's cool. Those things all tie together really well. Yeah. Have you found any? Have you had any luck gold painting? Yeah, actually, uh, this this uh, weekend I was out gold painting. Yeah. Found uh, some flakes. I mean, not enough to make real money, but I think it's another like one of those experience things. Yeah, exactly. Like. You know, it's it's a way for me to pass time and there is some value to it because now I have a, a low level skill. But, you know, over time, persistence will always add up, you know, one little gold flake from one shovel full. And then at the end of the day, I get a nice little handful of gold flakes where it might cost a couple cents. And then, 
you know, I do this for years and I might have $2,000 worth of gold yeah. in a vial, you know? Well, that's probably got to be just satisfying anyways to find a small gold fleck. Like, that's probably pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, sometimes, like I was saying, like how interest will bleed into other interests. Yeah. I like to take inspiration like that. So, um, a few years ago, when I was in the Marine Corps, my grandfather had just passed. And so, I took leave to go home. And I just woke up and I was like, I need to make a knife in his honor. And so... Uh, he took me out gold panning years ago when I used to live here in Nampa. And I took those, I, so I separate all my gold flakes and I'm like, all right, this came from this experience. This came from that weekend, yeah. this location. So I took some of the gold flakes from my first time gold painting with him. And I um, basically I engraved the handle to have a little constellation called the Big Dipper. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the Big Dipper, the last two stars will point up to Polaris, and then you look straight down onto the horizon, and that direction will always point north to you. Okay. And then, so I've always remembered like him saying, you, you know, just giving me advice, and I always thought, well, he's kind of like my moral compass or just a compass in general. If I get lost about, like, what should I do or how would society see this, you know, I'd, I'd ask him every once in a while because he was my legal guardian for a while, and, you know, I just... So for his honor, you know, I engraved this handle, and I the constellation was made out of gold flakes that he taught me how to pan for. That's cool. That's really neat. I like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually have to send a picture on, uh, to you about that. Cause yeah. I, I haven't posted it on my, my business account. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, my dad, uh, got sort of into gold panning. I didn't even know this is like not 10 years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And uh, I don't, I don't think we ever actually went. Now that I think about it, but we were at Cabela's. Eric and I were at Cabela's, and she saw all the gold painting stuff. She's like, "We need to do this," and I was like, I, "Let's go for it." I, I mean, I know, and this is totally off topic, but like, I, in order to do it, don't you have to like find different plot, like plots that you can go to in order to gold pan? Yeah. So be very wary of where you gold pan. You can't mm-hmm. just pick a spot and like, I'm going to go gold painting here. Right. Uh, there's, there's going to be mineral rights that people own. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't own any um, just because I don't really have the time at all. You know, yeah. most of the time is devoted to crafting knives. So if I'm going gold painting, I either have to ask permission from someone that I don't know. Uh, I have one friend who used to own a mine, so I used to go over there and just mine with him. Um, but, yeah, just be very cautious of where you go. Okay. Is there like a map that you can pull up or is it just kind of like you got to have yeah. to Google it and call and... Yeah, the the U.S. government, they I mean, they have a agency where you can kind of look that up. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I would. I think it'd be fun to go do one on a weekend. Like, it's funny you're talking about hunting and stuff. I'm I'm going scouting this weekend. Oh, awesome! Yeah, dude. I'm headed up on Friday Friday after work to <laughs> get out of town for a couple of days. So yeah, and ne- next weekend, assuming I, I don't forget that I have anything, I'm planning on go, plan on going out two weeks in a row. So awesome! Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I like the uh, the spontaneity and, and randomness of everything because I, I can relate to uh, how everything ties together. That's kind of what, you know, your knife making and, you know, gold panning and archery and all of these other things because that's what this podcast is. These are my knives basically because mm-hmm. it's like I love, you know, the, the fitness aspect of it. And, you know, my wife's a cop, so I love talking to other law enforcement guys. And I love long-range shooting as well, so I've talked to long-range guys and, 
it's just like this kind of is an outlet for me to like nerd out with everybody yeah. <laughs> and not necessarily have to go spend all the money in the world to go, to go <laughs> to get all the knowledge. But, um, yeah, that's good. All right. What other topics, man? You said there was a few things that you were still on your mind. Yeah. I mean, uh, so another thing I really like being different about is the materials that I choose. Okay. Most of the time, uh, I have a very similar look to all my knives. Usually they have like two brass pins that hold the handle together with epoxy. Um, they might be brute de forged finish, which is where, you know, when I forge a blade out, you're going to see like a dark hammer pitted oxidized finish. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a shiny satin ground blade. And generally they, they kind of have that. So it's more affordable for people. Okay. And, you know, I like to prove that, Hey, I actually forged this out. This isn't, stamped out in China. Like I've literally pounded this out of nothing. But another thing that I really love doing is collecting weird materials. Um, I, I have like civil war artillery. I have mammoth, um, ivory and, and things like that. And I really like to look at how like other people may put very conventional and affordable type materials into their handles or into their blades. Sure. And, Every once in a while, you'll see a unique blade where it's got 200 layers of pattern welded steel that get folded and twisted and things like that. And it, it's just gorgeous. But for me, I like being very different and weird about my knives. So, yeah. um, so like generally, I don't like talking about what I like to or what I have planned. I have a small stockpile of okay. things. So like as a treat in a sense for your, for your uh, <laughs> listeners, I'll, sure. I'll divulge some of those secrets and stuff. So like for me, I have a piece of the deck off the USS North Carolina, the most decorated battle uh, or the most decorated battleship of world war two. <laughs> that thing was just bombed like nothing Kay. in the Pacific. And I was very fortunate enough to be able to get a piece of the teak deck. It's a nice sized block. Yeah. And it's just been preserved just for me. And you know, that's something that, I'm going to wait until the time is right. Really? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so like, I've been stockpiling a lot of my stuff since I started off knife making. I'm like, Oh, that's a cool fossil. I'm just going to engrave that into a handle someday and, um, inlay it into the handle someday. Yeah. Just cause I'm fascinated with, I never thought about that. Yeah. That's all. What's the, what's the craziest. So this is zebra wood, right? Yep. What's, what's the craziest, I guess material you've used so far. So not for the future, not not for spoilers. Hmm. That is a very tough question. Um what's been the most beautiful then? Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Meteorite. Forged welded really? into one of my blades where it just got folded a couple of times. It's a it's a lower layer uh pattern welded Damascus steel. Yep. Okay. But there were only a few bars of it created and it's just beautiful to see these bands of meteoric iron. Meteors don't, or meteorites don't make a good steel. Just there's no edge retention. It's like mostly iron with extraterrestrial type elements that. Sure, it's more decorative than anything. Yeah, exactly. So if I fuse that with something that holds a better edge, then I get to combine the beauty of this when it gets etched in acid with this other steel that has performance behind it. So yeah. um, that was my $1,000 dagger I was working on. That's cool. How do you find, like, this stuff? Do you go to, like, uh, oh, man, uh, like, what are they, swap meets? 
anything Anywhere. where where I can trade or sell things or or just buy things. You know, I might go and I might go camping, for example, and find uh, a place where they have the uh, world-class smoky quartz crystals, and then I'll take, you know, sm- the small crystals and and just carve into the handle and just inlay them in. Or I might try and go to a swap meet. For example, I went to uh, Sumter, Oregon. Yep. Um, they have a big swap meet. Yeah. I remember going going to those with my grandparents every year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a great selection of stuff. I really couldn't afford much, but I was able to trade off an ounce of silver for some gold. Um, I found some cool blacksmithing tongs and things like that. But, you know, when I go over to those places, I like to see, you know, what kind of unusual pieces of history I can find that I won't feel bad about cutting up. Because mm-hmm. for some reason, I get this real weird sentimental attachment to things where it's like, oh, this thing was used in 1912 in a battlefield. And, you know, like, well, I like to see, is it obsolete? You know, would I feel bad about cutting into that and reforging that? Things like that. So um, I get very particular about that kind of stuff. And same thing with restorations. I don't really like to completely change the way something was. I like to just preserve it in the state that it's in. So I have, like I said, I have like a a nice sized sword from the Alanian tribe, um, Eastern European type okay. era. I believe it was dug up in Germany, but this museum had sold it off, and I had won it in an auction. And it, this thing's just completely rusted and pitted. And you know, I didn't. I really despise seeing videos of people where they try and mirror polish something with a lot of history behind it. Sure. Like, um, I just like to preserve it in the state that it's in. So I just very slowly, meticulously with a dental pick, pick out every single little piece <laughs> of thing that's loose and then just apply on Renaissance wax, to preserve it. Okay. It is just beautiful because it looks like it just came out of a, a grave or from the earth. And, you know, it's just, it's restored. So I know it's not going to, you know, continue to oxidize and rot away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, like if, if it's like a, a semi common type, like like an axe blade for example mm-hmm. and you know it's not it's not something rare then i won't feel bad about mirror polishing it and things like that yeah so uh you do uh uh custom orders right yep do you get so the restorations from people and then uh like let's say somebody requests like let's say let's say, I say ah, words let's say i'm like hey i want a knife like this and i want it with this handle okay do people ship you like materials to build handles out of uh i mean most of the time i i mean I have my own like small stockpile and it really depends on the material. So, I mean, I have some like South African warthog tucks. I have <laughs> mammoth ivory and uh, mammoth um, molar. Um, I've just got a nice selection of exotic woods that I really like to save for um, just Special higher occasions. end type projects and things like that. And so if, if my client is not satisfied with what kind of materials I have, then if they have something they can send it to me and I'll knock off part of the price depending on, you know, what the material is. And I have to be very careful because if it's sentimental, like if like they say, Hey, this is from my grandfather's barn, then I'm going to be very particular about how I cut it and how much waste is actually created from it. Sure. Um, that has happened. And sometimes, you know, I mean, well, nothing bad has ever happened, but 
other times where a client's like, hey, this is my grandfather's knife. Can you re-grind it and just redo everything? And then uh, I want bright blue handles on it. You know, I've, satis- I've satisfied that customer and that, you know, they carry it around for a while and then they send it back to me like, hey, you know, can you re-grind the handle just a little bit, maybe a little shorter? And, you know, those are things that I am very willing to do because, awesome. you know, I want people to, you know, have their family heritage, but just brought back to life in a different manner. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited to to play with this one. Like I've been fidgeting with it this whole time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's uh so with all my customers right after or right before they pay, I always send a, a very generic message about like, hey, uh you the price that you pay for it involves the price of the blade, obviously the sheath, the shipping, and the lifetime warranty. Mm -hmm. And I'm very adamant about that lifetime warranty because I know I'm not a good knife maker. Well, I mean, it really depends on who you ask, but for me, in my eyes, I don't view myself as an expert knife maker. Um, So I know my heat treats could always be a little bit more dialed in or my grinds could always be a little bit better. But I know that as years go on, I will have that experience and I will have, you know, a little bit better equipment in the future where I can handle on, or I mean, where I can handle, you know, improving the quality of a blade. If uh, the tip of one of my knives snaps, then, you know, the client is always inclined to send that back. I'll pay for shipping. I'll regrind the knife or I'll make them a whole new knife, depending on what they're after. But, you know, it's just something that I stand behind. Um, it's American made, um, veteran made, but those aren't things that I ride off of. You know, it's the quality that someone's after. It's not the words of made in the USA. That doesn't <laughs> tell me anything about your product or my product, you know. Yeah. I want to see how it functions. If that thing can't stab into uh, someone's torso repeatedly. What's it worth? Exactly. Yeah. So do you want to go big at some point? Is that is that part of like a five-year plan? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so for me, I'd really like to get a little warehouse and a small factory that I can work out of. Um, I would like to be able to make knives where they're made over and over again, where we have models and mm-hmm. I'll have a few people who I've, I mean, I'm already training on how to help grind and heat treat and make sheaths and stuff like that. Um, I would like to get a more expensive company where, you know, if someone wants that, for example, they can just buy it off a shelf at Cabela's yeah. or something like that, where it's going to be more affordable, um, maybe better quality or maybe something. I, I don't know how to explain it for say, but um, yeah, more consumer oriented. Exactly. Yeah. But I would also like to still do custom work. So um if someone reaches out and they're like hey i love your knives but you don't have what i'm looking for i mean that's my that's been my role as a custom knife maker i always try and meet and exceed my clients needs okay okay so you're looking to expand to a point where people can order different Boo knives yep right off the shelf or head to a cabela's Snag one up, which I think would be super cool. Yeah. But also still have that flexibility in being able to design, restore, manufacture just wicked awesome blades. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. I like it, man. Yeah, I like the I like the size of this handle. Like Yeah, thank you. It's like it's like perfect. Like it feels like it's not too it's not too fat. It's not too thin. Like I know that it's in my hand. Mm-hmm. I've already poked myself with it. <laughs> oh, boy. yeah, me too. I, uh, <laughs> I sliced my palm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that, uh, you don't own a knife 
until you it makes you bleed you know like uh-huh. not not like advocating that you go poke yourself but you know i've been in i've been an idiot with uh knives so growing up like i can relate to this knife thing growing up um i used to get in trouble okay let me rephrase that growing up my grandpa right i would always go work at their house when i was younger and my grandpa they owned a tool store mm-hmm. and he'd be like go cut this strap or cut this box and i'd be like grandpa i don't have a pocket knife and he's like what the heck I give you one every Christmas, every birthday, and no joke, like, until, like, my teens, right? Every Christmas, every birthday, I would get a box of knives. Wow. Well, not a box. It was a package of, like, the five knives from Big Five. Oh, okay. And uh, so I, somewhere, I have, like, 30 knives, pocket knives. I think it's still at my parents' house. Wow. And uh, I don't remember what I was going with that. But, like, I've always had knives. Yeah. And so it's just funny because I've got to a point where it's like, hey, I don't feel like I legitimately own a knife until it makes me bleed because I, I mess around with them. I've always had knives and I just poke myself with them and, you know, do stupid stuff and play a little, you know, the knife game. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I've definitely seen that a lot, especially in my time during the Marine Corps. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if there's nothing to do and, um, you know, we absolutely have exhausted, you know, pocket knowledge or, or I mean, hip pocket classes or, you know, the day's work. Sometimes we'd go out behind uh, whatever warehouse or whatever building or into the forest or whatever and just throw knives at each other's feet. (laughs) (laughs) Just like just having our feet spread apart and just like aiming for the inside and just like each time you... You know, Step you, a little closer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> not scary. Stupid stuff like that yeah. all the time. Yeah, I I like knives. I like sharp things, but yeah. And I mean, I I guess to kind of piggyback off that, just uh, I would say, teach your kids how to use a knife properly. Uh, I mean, don't just hand them uh, hand uh, hand them knives and just expect them to become experts. Te- you know, teach them the blood circle or blood triangle. Uh, teach them how to cut away from the self, or if if they absolutely have to cut towards themselves, just very controlled. Uh, teach them that it's not a weapon, um, even though society may see, you know, a lot of knives as weapons. And you know, I I get those messages and comments all the time. They're like, in my country, we don't believe that you should have this. I'm like, well, I really don't care, and I think that's pretty <laughs> sad to be honest. Like. It's just a backup tool. I, I use this knife for cutting open boxes. I use it for, you know, I I was using it to cut asparagus out of a farmer's field once. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, last weekend I was, it was going through the skull of a pig. Yep. And through the torso. I mean, I, I guess I could also go back a little bit on tops. Um, yeah. Um, just so we can talk a little bit more about that <laughs> uh but yeah so i would just really emphasize knife safety uh know your knife laws but just remember like some states they have some really weird laws and it's i'm just gonna say be be an adult at your own discretion i'm not gonna adult or i'm not gonna baby you and say hey you're not an adult <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly like should you really get this eight inch buoy knife and yeah. things like no nah, just know just, your laws be yeah. responsible don't be an idiot and, uh, yeah, don't, don't try to, don't think that you're just going to be Rambo and using knives on people all the time. Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> but the, the pig thing, so we don't mortify people that, that is a thing, which, yes. which I know if you're in a knife world or any stabby related world, that's, that's the medium that you guys use to test different weapons. Yeah. And so for me, 
I mean, this is something that I've always looked forward to because I don't, because usually at home I'd stab, you know, blocks of wood or, you know, I'm chopping logs with, or I mean, I'm batoning through logs and, and doing all kinds of stuff with my knives. But to have someone else supervising me while I stab and slash this pig, you know, this pig carcass hanging on a, on an engine hoist in a little tiny shed over at Topps Knives in Yukon, Idaho. I mean, that's just a surreal experience because, <laughs> you know, this person I, that I look up to is just coaching me through, like, <laughs> just telling me, like, watch your blade and this is how you should stab and this is how you'll exit. And, you know, when you walk around my class, this is how you're going to hold your knife. And, you know, like, hey, that knife design looks cool, but that's not going to work at all. And, you know, I've seen this over and over again. You should be cautious about your design. So I've been very grateful to have Ryan Atkinson on my side because, you know, uh, when the first time we ever worked out and ran together up Table Rock, um, it was during the fall time. And he was he was asking about the knife on my side, and it was the Habu 1. Mm -hmm. And so I showed it to him, and he's like, well, you know, realistically, you're sharpening choil or your sharpening notch is a great thing to have, especially if, uh, you know, you're sharpening things, obviously, and, or if you don't know how to sharpen things. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll show you what that is later, but yeah. it's like a little tiny groove that gets cut uh, where your edge meets the ricasso this this point. Okay. And you just put put that on the corner oh. of a, Yeah, you put that on the Got corner Got it, and that's like a, a guide kind of? Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. And so I it was... I mean, that's kind of like my style, though. I was very adamant, like, hey, I mean, people don't really understand how to sharpen knives all the time, so I always, you know, file those in. But he said, Ed will make fun of you. That thing's <laughs> going to catch on, you know, the clothing of the pig or, you know, the inside flesh and things like that. So make I tossed that. Yeah. <laughs> so I tossed that out. So you and I, we, our next generation blades, they don't include those at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, last weekend when this blade was driven in, it went all the way up to the handle. Yep. Um, I'll, I don't know if it's okay to post a picture of this because it's covered in blood. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can show you right now, but I mean, I was very proud of the performance of my knives. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect at all. I, I thought entering the skull of the pig was going to be a very tough. Um, I don't look very strong at all, and and it went right in like nothing. <laughs> I was I was really shocked to be honest, but I was very glad because now I have this confidence behind my products and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. look at that. Yeah. That that looks that looks dodgy. So that, that looks like it belongs in the yeah evidence locker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean. I'm worried about posting it because, like, will people get offended? Will they get grossed out? Will people pass out? Will, you know, the Instagram? Probably all of them, I, you know. To be honest, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but That's how you make new friends. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's kind of just this, this realization, like, yeah, my knives, there is quality behind it, and there is performance that I now know, you know, there's confidence on my side. And that was just really reiterated that weekend. Um, that class was very extreme. You know, we were learning strangulation, just using cell phone cords to choke people out. Yeah. We were flipping each other. I, was, I got punched in the face a couple times on accident. <laughs> we were striking each other with a water pipe insulation with electrical tape wrapped around. Yep. 
You know, we were simulating walking down the street and just slashing people across the throat. Um, we were watching real, I mean, like I said, real world videos and trying to reenact them. Like people walking down train stations and getting stabbed in the back repeatedly. And, you know, they bend over and blood starts spewing out. Those were things that it's, it's real life. You know, the world is not all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. But, uh, just be a little cautious. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to Ryan about those because he teaches those classes too. Yeah. And for, I guess, for our listeners, because that sounds like, it sounds dodgy, but like Extremely. I totally know where you're coming from with them. And they're designed for, what's this? That's a uh, spontoon tomahawk. You can, oh, that's cool. You can see uh, pig brain on oh, the. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the brain matter on there. Literally all the way up yeah. to the guard that I put in. That's but crazy. It. I mean, I was just driving that thing in. Yeah. And, I mean. I'm but, very fascinated with the performance of my things. And, yeah. And but these classes are designed for guys like you that are designing, you know, knives for people that are, you know, into the, cause it's interesting because the best way probably to equate it, I'm totally feel like I'm going to steal this from Ryan is, is like, you can take a gunfighter course, right? You can go and you can get training on how to use your, your pistol, your AR, you know, vehicle tactics, all of these things. And what you guys are doing is, is, really the same thing as as that but with edged weapons yep and and you're training in ways that make sense for edged weapons which is it's almost identical but it's interesting because i feel like in the knife world it's much more personal right you're a lot closer yep you have to do it repeatedly for it to take effect which honestly same thing with a firearm really yeah i mean double tap yeah right and so it's it's kind of it's weird when we talk about it, right? Like, cause I know what you're talking about, right? Like, I feel like this is a, it's a good conversation, yeah. but you know, for somebody that's sitting at a nine to five, they're like, what in the live, you know, what yeah. is going on? But it's like, that's how you, that's proof of concept. That's how you guys are training for it. You're having these conversations around how a knife works and the edge weapon and what happens when it goes through a school and what works and whether or not you're going to have a sharpening notch. Yep. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was very thankful when Ed had reposted one of my photos because I was taking notes in his class. I, you know, I paid for that class and I lived through it. And I'm very, I'm very thirsty for knowledge. As a matter of fact, you know, a piece of advice I always tell people is carry a pen. Notes will always be around you, but it's up to you to actually take the time to write notes. And, you know, every, everyone, or I mean, okay, I lied, not everyone. A lot of people just immediately stick to their cell phone for knowledge. And I'd say, screw that, you know, paper, write that down, write it down in a write in the rain waterproof notebook, mm-hmm. you know, you can carry that it costs no energy, it takes up a little bit of space, but I mean, maybe twice the area of your cell phone, but yeah. you know, I can take that thing underwater unlike my cell phone. It doesn't take any electricity to charge up my cell phone to look at you know like hey how do i start this yeah exactly (laughs) and so like you know i sketch out weapons that i see that ed's teaching how to make like locks with paracord that are tsa approved but you know you can bash someone's skull in with that yeah and so um something that i realized and made a quote after he had reposted my thing is no amount of training will make you impervious to death right I mean, you can, you can train all your life, so many different martial arts, so many different ways to handle a weapon system, but a little tiny bacteria strain can end your life. Yeah. 
a plane from way above that you have no control over can end your life. <laughs> but what I will say is take some form of training. At least be aware of what's out there. Don't live in some kind of dreamland where you know everyone's going to be nice to you and everyone's going to help you out. That is never the case. But don't live your life in fear uh, that you're going to die. Just make the most out of it. And, you know, that's kind of what I've just been doing as a 24-year-old, you know, just doing as much as I can, just gaining <laughs> as much experience and, you know, doing things that aren't normal for people my age, but I'm after it because I'm interested in, you know, I now have some weird story to tell about my life. Yeah, we're not... Nobody gets out of this thing alive. Might as well have fun with it, right? Yeah. I heard that yesterday. I don't remember who said that, but I was like, I've heard that before, but it's a good way to look at it. We're yeah. all dead in the end. Yeah. I mean, Momento Mori. It's, uh, I mean, I mean, you've been following my page for, for a little bit, and yeah. you kind of see. Um, I, I kind of have a weird, morbid type theme where, you know, I, I don't cuss or have ob major obscenities on my page, but... It, is, it can be a little graphic, but I'm always self-conscious about what I post and what kind of example I set for other people who may not know me or, you know, they are young and impressionable and they look up to me. I'm not saying go around, test your knives on, on pigs and things like that. Yeah. Just be very careful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I think, I think the responsibility, uh, what you were talking to earlier, right? I think is definitely key out of this conversation, right? Yeah. It's fun to talk about all of these things. It's really interesting. It's great knowledge. But to quote Spider-Man, is it Spider-Man or Batman? Spider-Man, with great knowledge, or, I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, right? exactly. And a Uncle knife, Ben, rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, exactly, right? It, a knife, a firearm, all of it, right? Yep. It's great to have it, great to be responsible, or great to have it, even better know how to use it, and most of all, be responsible with whatever it is that you're doing. And... You know, I know that with this now, I'm, I was just thinking about it. Like, I've got to go make a target stand in the garage so I can actually practice with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can show you how to make a Tijuana boxing bag where you just take a hoodie. Okay. Uh, I mean, so just go to the thrift store, spend five bucks on a hoodie, okay. two pillows, and a belt. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I'll be actually some old pillows. Yeah, exactly. And I, so, I mean, I can make you a, a trainer knife, essentially. Okay. And I mean... I have, so I have paracord that runs through and I hook it over a, a door handle. And so I can set a height for if I'm imagining I'm fighting someone as tall as Ryan or someone as short as me. Right. You know, I just adjust. Oh, the that's knot. smart. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't cost anything. If if I stab through too many times, just take duct tape and put it on the inside <laughs> of the hoodie. Um, but it only cost me five bucks. Oh, that's and a great idea. Every Wednesday night, I just train on that thing. Um, I would highly recommend looking. I. I mean, Ryan alluded to Scott Babb, uh, mm -hmm. Libre fighting, but I mean, reverse edge methodology, uh, uh, that's kind of what he teaches and emphasizes on. And, you know, he watches, you know, a lot of real world things. It's not some fantasy, you know, you're dueling someone to the death. No, these are people that walk up and stab repeatedly. And, you know, he watches how their body moves and, you know, he tries to figure out what they know. And, you know, he teaches and has uh, Instagram videos where you can actually look and I mean, they're free. They're super informative and they're, you know, it doesn't take that long to just, you know, practice drawing out the blade, striking the eye, then the throat, pulling back, uh, getting the kidney, pushing him forward, uh, getting the femoral. Right. You know, you can build so many different combinations and not have any 
uh, air quote, formal training. You yeah, know? I did. After Ryan uh, and I talked, I did look up Scott Babb stuff because I was like, man, that looks really cool. And all of his like, um, it's uh, the, it's the Libre fighting, but he's got different like the journeyman and like whatever the yep, different packages. Yeah. And I think that they had sold out. And I'm like, OK, well, next time I see that, I kind of want to take advantage of it. Yeah. I like, I'm super weird like that where like, I kind of like the credentials of it because it gives me something to work towards. Yeah. Otherwise I just kind of like, uh, whatever, kind of get lost in whatever else, yeah. you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to do the, the, uh, sweatshirt thing. I'm going to do that in the garage. Cause you know, I, I've been fascinated. I was looking at the, uh, cause you don't necessarily like in order to have like something useful, I think that they're called tools of opportunity where you could use like even, um, the Victorinox pairing knives. Yep. Because I was looking at those at one point because I was like, okay, I've spent too much money on microphones. You know, <laughs> like looking at those. And uh, yeah, so it's cool stuff. I love, I love, as I talk to more guys like you and kind of getting into it, you know, it's like, it's a whole other world. You know, I come from guns, right? Like I yeah. shot trap in college and awesome. so shop, you know, USPSA for a little bit. And yeah. then for the most part did long range stuff. And so this is like, like the opposite, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, very up close and personal. yeah. So it's, it's totally different. It's, it's a lot of fun and the designs are unique, right? They look mean. Like when I, sh when I showed my dad a picture of this after he sent it to me, he's like, it looks like it's from Star Trek, <laughs> like very Klingon, -y, you know? And I'm like, it really does, but they serve a cool purpose. And I mean, they look cool and great conversation piece, great, yeah, you know, very utilitarian, but man, I feel like I could talk forever. Yeah, me too. I mean, so, I mean, I am not a people person. I am very introverted. Uh, I actually do not like talking to people at all. So, <laughs> You wouldn't uh, tell. I mean, this was, a, this was an easy conversation. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to tell. I mean, I, I'm awkward. I just, my mind races, uh, my mind races with so much and sometimes I stutter and, you know, I just kind of struggle with, you know, holding conversations with people and, you know, they'll, they'll ask me how the weekend was and I'm like, it was good and just leave it at that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, but just the past year or so I've started realizing like I should kind of work on my people skills, start becoming a social engineer. I, you know, I'm not going through and social engineering people out of their credit card information and things right. like that, but I am learning how I can approach random strangers and talk about their t-shirt or, um, whatever they're wearing or carrying or, or like, Hey, or I mean, wherever they're headed to and things like that. And I sort of realized like, you know what? I, I mean, I can find out all kinds of open source intelligence from this person, but I could also use this to my advantage about my business. Mm -hmm. Like, so I kind of look at what knives are they carrying or, you know, why does this guy not have a knife and just, yeah, almost like a, a missionary for my own knife gospel in yeah. a sense. Well, dude, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I've, I've, that's one thing that I've kind of learned over the years too, is, is how to get, how to talk to people. Cause for a long time I was like you where I, I did not, I didn't really have much of not necessarily a desire not to talk to people. I just didn't know how. But I've learned over the years that like it's easy to sit down with somebody and ask ask them about them because everybody wants to talk about themselves. Yep. And I've learned that it's active listening, right? Where it's like, hey, I can listen to you, and I might not necessarily understand everything that you're telling me, but I can ask some key words along the way to kind of get you to continue talking. And to that same end about the the business aspect of it, right? Like I've applied a lot of the things that I've 
kind of poked and prodded from people about their lives to my personal life, the podcast, the direction I'm going. And uh, it's crazy because to that end, it's like, I'd never would have known that had I not like kind of broken out of my own little shell and yacked away at somebody for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm not a people person, but I figured I might as well give you a whole lot extra. Well, this was good, man. I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I appreciate the knife, man. Like I can't even tell you how excited I am to to get this and I'm going to, I'm going to take it everywhere and I'm going to make, did you say a Tijuana target? Uh, no, Tijuana boxing bag, boxing bag. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make one of those. I think I have a, I think I have a sweatshirt in there actually. So I might, I might do that. I might have to hide the fact that it's pillows cause my wife will kill me with the knife. So. <laughs> you know, like, like Ryan said, it really doesn't take that much training for someone to end someone, but yeah. you should really be, training to, on how to control yourself, how to control your weapon system. Yep. Um, and, you know, sometimes the best fight is the one you don't get into. Uh, that's what Ed Calderon was really emphasizing on. And, you know, just this past weekend, I've kind of, I've realized how important that really means. Mr. Will Jinx, everybody. I hope you all learned a few things about knives, knife culture, and different ways to get inspiration for, for whatever it is that your passion is, whatever it is that you're working on. Uh, Will is one awesome dude, and I'm really glad that we did get to connect. And uh, we actually just locked down a, a time to go to the 3D Archery Range. So I'm, I'm excited to continue getting to know him and stay in touch. Uh, but if any of you have any questions on knife making, designs, purposes, um, or maybe some of the courses we covered in the episode, please feel free to reach out. I know we'd love to hear from you, and I've got our, I'll link uh, Will's Instagram in the episode description, as well as a few other knife resources if you're curious. Uh, beyond that, as always, linked in the episode description is the Vanguard website. Uh, please take a second to poke around, pick up some swag, uh, and tag me in it on social media. I'd love to see the shenanigans you're finding yourselves in throughout the summer. And uh, yeah, uh, otherwise, uh, you guys have a great day, and we'll catch you next time. Hey guys, it's Erica, Austin's wife. I don't know about you, but when Austin and I are on the road, we are quick to get hungry and hate getting greasy food. We typically put off getting food, which often leads to Austin getting hangry, annoying, and more obnoxious than normal. This ends with us having to stop and get something before he randomly goes missing. With that being said, Mountain Primal Fuel Sticks are the prime candidate to curb the hunger, stave off him being an asshole, and give me a reason to shove a meat stick down his throat. Use Vanguard for 15% off mountainprimal.com.